Let us turn in God's word, first of all, to Psalm 15, and then after that we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 19. Psalm 15, entitled, A Psalm of David. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Oh, who shall dwell in thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is contemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. He that doeth these things shall never be moved. And let's turn to Proverbs chapter 19. And we'll read in Proverbs 19 the first 18 verses. Better is the poor that walketh in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. Wealth maketh many friends, but the poor is separated from his neighbor. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. Many will entreat the favor of the prince, and every man is a friend to him that giveth gifts. All the brethren of the poor do hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursueth them with words, yet they are wanting to him. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall perish. Delight is not seemly for a fool, much less for a servant to have rule over princes. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. The king's wrath is as the roaring of a lion, but his favor is as dew upon the grass. A foolish son is the calamity of his father, and the contentions of a wife are a continual dropping. House and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. He that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul. He that despiseth his ways shall die. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, 
and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let not thy soul spare for his crying. We stop our reading of God's holy and inspired word at that point. May God bless the reading of the script, our hearts. It's on the basis of these passages of Scripture that we find the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43. Question 112, what is required in the ninth commandment? That I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer, that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard, but that I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil, unless I would bring down upon me the heavy wrath of God. Likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. Also that I defend and promote as much as I am able the honor and good character of my neighbor. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, while preparing for this sermon, which speaks about the use of our tongue, it struck me that a number of the commandments And the head of our catechism's explanation of those commandments likewise teach us about how we are to use our tongues. The first commandment in forbidding idolatry, having no other gods besides Jehovah God, the way in which we reveal the idols of our hearts is by what comes off of our lips. The third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. How is it that we use God's name lightly or in vain? It's by the words that we speak. The fifth commandment, honor father and mother. The way that a child reveals his honor for father and mother is by the reverent words that come off his lips to mom and dad and as well the obedience unto mother and father. Sixth commandment as well speaks about words, thou shalt not kill. The catechism in developing the, this commandment says that neither in thoughts nor words nor gestures I dishonor, hate, wound, or kill my neighbor. Seventh commandment speaks about words, adultery. What does the seventh commandment require of us? God forbids all unchaste actions, gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. And then as well, the ninth commandment, which we consider this morning that I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's word. 
words, that I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. It is with good reason that so many of the commandments teach us about the words that come off of our lips. For who of us can claim to have control, perfect control, over the tongue? James teaches us that the tongue is a little member of the body and yet is capable of kindling so great a fire. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. As well, it is with good reason that the Catechism repeatedly speaks of words. For how often is it not the case that what starts out as a minor problem becomes a major problem because of words that are spoken? Could be a minor thing in the marriage, a misunderstanding between the husband and the wife, and then the one retorts, with a strong word. And then that small problem becomes a larger problem. So it is that we need instruction again and again about what words are to come off of our lips. Let's consider this ninth commandment, shalt not bear false witness under the theme commanded to love the truth. First, we'll consider what is the basis. Second, what is the duty that we have in this commandment? Third, what is the possibility of keeping this commandment? The first basis that stands underneath of this ninth law is this truth that God is the God of truth. This is proclaimed all throughout the Scriptures. Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God, proclaimed, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The psalmist, in Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8, worshipped Jehovah God by saying, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The statutes of the Lord are right. Because God is the God of truth, Jehovah God cannot lie. Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Let's develop this a little more. What does this mean that God is the God of truth? This means, does it not, that God is the source of truth? Everything that we acknowledge to be reality in our lives 
comes from, has its source in Jehovah God. Why is there the law of gravity? Things are pulled down toward the center of the earth. Why are there two genders, male and female? Why are there differences of personalities? All of the truths that we have contact with in this earth have their source in Jehovah God. But then further, when we say that Jehovah God is the God of truth, we mean not just that all source has its truth in God, but also this, Jehovah is the God who reveals truth unto His people. God does not... keep all truth unto Himself. He does not hide it from the creature. But Jehovah God is pleased to make Himself known unto us. He's the God who speaks and is able to be known by the people that He has created. And as Jehovah God reveals Himself, He always reveals Himself in an honest way. God never misrepresents who He is as He reveals Himself to the creature. God never exaggerates about His power. The psalmist, if you read through the psalms, the psalms make many claims about the greatness of God. Our God is so great that the heavens of heavens cannot contain Him. The right arm of the Lord is filled with strength and with power. His everlasting arms uphold the heavens and the earth and all that is therein. All of these claims that are made regarding Jehovah God are not exaggerations. They are not misrepresentation. But they are a faithful revelation of the transcendent God. Because God is the God of truth, what confidence we can have then is we turn to the Holy Scriptures. We need not doubt that the Word of God is dependable. He has preserved the Scriptures for thousands of years. So when we open up the Bible and read it in our homes, we have no reason to doubt but that this is The wisdom of Jehovah. God is the God of truth. That's the first basis of this commandment. Second, what we see stands behind this commandment is this reality. The devil is a liar. Catechism uses this language middle of answer 112 I avoid all sorts of lies and deceit as the proper works of the devil the devil has revealed himself as a liar from the dawn of history when the devil came to Adam and Eve in the garden tempting them The very first way in which he tempted Adam and Eve was by calling into question the sincerity, the truthfulness 
of God's words that he had spoken unto Adam and Eve. Adam came to them in the form of, or rather the devil came to them in the form of a serpent and asked them, did God really say you are not to eat of every tree that is in the garden? And you see how as the devil placed that question before Adam and Eve, the devil was tempting Adam and Eve to consider the words that God had spoken, to evaluate those words. And then the devil suggested in that question that Adam and Eve conclude that God's words were not true. Either it must be the case, according to the suggestion of the devil, that God had not said those words. Perhaps Adam and Eve had a faulty memory. And so it was not the case that God had said, don't eat of every tree of the garden. Or the devil would have Adam and Eve believe that God, if indeed he had spoken those words, was not good in saying those words. After all, What benevolent God would say unto you, don't eat of this particular tree. If he's a good God and he truly cares for you, then God would give unto you access unto all of the trees of the garden. And so you see how the tactic of the devil from the very beginning has been this. He calls into question the sincerity of the words of God and would have mankind question whether they are true and whether they are good. So much is the devil a liar that the Scriptures teach us that all lies come from the instigation of the devil. In John 8, verse 44, Jesus Christ addressed the Pharisees around Him. Great crowds of people had gathered around, but... Many of them were not genuinely interested in the doctrines that he gave unto them. And Jesus rebuked them. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he, the devil, Speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Strong words that Jesus Christ used regarding the devil, not just stating that the devil does lie from time to time, but rather Jesus says regarding the devil, there is no truth in him. You know why? Because God is true. And the Spirit of God is not in the devil. The devil is never faithful. The very name of the devil indicates his nature. The name devil means deceiver. He goes forth deceiving and seeking to. 
throughout the history of the church, this is the battle that the people of God have been engaged in. It's the battle for truth against the lie. It's the battle of light against darkness. It's the battle of orthodoxy versus heresy. Every time we are tempted to sin, there is deceitfulness that is included in that temptation. That's what makes resisting temptations so difficult. Because the devil takes that which is evil and presents it unto us as if it were good. If if the devil did not present unto us that lie, then temptations would lose their power, their lure unto us. But every time the devil comes to us and tempts us unto sinfulness, he holds before us the lie that if you reach out and grab a hold of this forbidden fruit, it will give unto you joy and happiness. Take that bottle. The devil tempts the drunk. And bring it to your lips. And it will bring you happiness. Click on that image. The devil tempts person struggling with pornography and it will give you satisfaction and yet the devil lies for never once does acting on the sin give the satisfaction and happiness that the devil promises it will give. The devil is a liar and the father of all lies. This is the seriousness of sin. To sin is to believe the lie of the devil. To sin is to turn one's face from Jehovah God and in essence say unto God, I do not believe thy word. I do not believe the promises contained in the scriptures, but I believe the devil. To sin is to say unto the devil, yes, I will act on this because I have more confidence that your word is truthful then God's word is truthful. Who can stand against such power of the devil? We depend upon the almighty hand of God to strengthen us to resist such temptations. God teaches us in His Word, and by His Word He strengthens us so that we might be able to resist temptation. And so let us consider then what is the duty 
that God gives unto us in this ninth commandment. We begin by considering what it is that God forbids us from doing. Answer 112 teaches what is forbidden, that I bear false witness against no man, nor falsify any man's words. That I not bear false witness. We read that this morning in Proverbs 19, verse 5. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. To speak of bearing false witness is to use the language of a courtroom. Think of a judge, think of somebody who is on trial, think of the defense attorney. And that defense attorney is given opportunity to call a witness to the stand. So he calls forward that witness, the witness approaches the stand, and then that witness must swear an oath. He swears that he will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The witness then, after having sworn that oath, must answer sincerely, to the best of his knowledge, the questions that are given unto him. He must answer the questions according to his own personal observations, his own first-hand information that he has. The witness is not to report in that stand about what he has heard from others, for that would be hearsay, nor is the witness in that stand to misrepresent what he saw or hide something that he saw, which would be to bear false witness. The application of this prohibition against bearing false witness is, you understand, far broader than the courtroom, but it includes every sphere of life, every relationship that God has placed us in. It applies to marriages, parenting, the relationship that you have with your coworker and with your boss. Forbidden in this commandment, as God calls us not to bear false witness, is exaggerating. And how easy it is for us to exaggerate the truth. We do this, we can do this when telling stories. We can present our lot in life as if it is worse than what it actually is in order to try to gain the empathy of others. Or we can exaggerate by stretching what good things we did making it seem as if we are the hero that in reality we are not. Forbidden is bearing false witness to the government, misrepresenting one's income. Forbidden students is lying to your teachers. And the catechism goes on in teaching us what is forbidden, that I be no backbiter nor slanderer. 
Psalm 15, verse 3 mentions the backbiter. Psalm 15, verse 3. Who is the godly man will abide in the tabernacle of the Lord. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. The backbiter and the slanderer mentioned in the catechism are both gossipers. The backbiter is the person who hears news about the neighbor, which news is not good news, but a sad or even an evil report about the neighbor. And then the backbiter takes that news and he then goes on to the next individual and he passes along that report about the neighbor. He passes that report along not because he cares about the neighbor, but simply because he is interested in spreading along the evil news about that neighbor. The slanderer, in distinction from the backbiter, goes one step further. The slanderer is not only willing to spread an evil report, but the slanderer is willing to make up an evil report. The backbiter will defend himself by saying, well, it's true. I'm just passing truth along, even though it's truth that nobody wants shared and should not be shared. The backbiter gives that defense. The slanderer cannot even give the defense of truth. But the slanderer is, is willing to share what, whatever evil thoughts come up into his mind about the neighbor. The backbiter and the slanderer are enemies of the unity of the church. Their concern is not for Christian love and fellowship. Their goal is not that the members of the church would be one faith, one hope, one love. But by repeating the tale, the gossiper separates members of the church, one from another. Proverbs 17, verse 9, He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. How serious is this sin of backbiting, and telling a slanderous report. Proverbs 17, verse 7, Whoso mocketh the poor reproacheth his Maker, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be unpunished. Positively, what does this commandment require of us? requires of us that we judge and that we judge in the proper way. This Lord's Day speaks of judging. Answer 112, 
that I do not judge nor join in condemning any man rashly or unheard. At that point, one might be tempted to think that the catechism here is forbidding every form of judging. That all judging is prohibited. But the catechism goes on later on say, likewise, that in judgment and all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly and confess it. And so the catechism makes clear here in its further explanation that it is not prohibiting every form of making a judgment, but what it is prohibiting is judging in the wrong manner. When we judge, let us do it in a way that is in accord with the word of the Lord. And so the catechism forbids us from judging rashly. To judge rashly is to judge quickly. Upon having heard only one side of the story, or upon only having heard one news report about a particular circumstance, the one who judges rashly quickly reaches conclusions, even strong convictions about this, and may even become very concerned about this particular matter. The one who judges unheard, must not judge rashly or unheard, to judge someone unheard is not to hear the other person's side of the story. So a talebearer comes along and tells his side of the story. Did you hear about this? This is what this particular individual did unto me. And that individual then tells the story of how he feels that he has been mistreated by someone else. To judge unheard is to reach conclusions only having heard that one side of the story. Every man seemeth just in his own cause, but then his neighbor comes and searches him out. So the duty then that we have is to make wise judgments. Making wise judgments means that we must refrain from reaching conclusions about a matter before we have gathered as much information and knowledge as possible. Proverbs 19, verse 2. Also, that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. As well, Proverbs 19, verse 8. He that getteth wisdom loveth his own soul. He that keepeth understanding shall find good. As well, wisely judging means that we acknowledge that there are certain circumstances where we are not going to be able to know the conclusion of the matter. There are some circumstances, some difficulties that are beyond human comprehension. And so we wait then until the judgment day in which God will take that which was done in darkness and bring it into the light and manifest 
all of the deeds of men. The spirit of humility requires that we acknowledge that there are times where we simply do not know what happened. When children have a dispute and father and mother are required to make a judgment, father and mother ask questions, father and mother seek to understand, but there can be times where dad and mom cannot figure out who is the primary contributor to the dispute between the two children. Rather than judge the children rashly or unheard and execute, give punishment that is more severe than what the crime requires, at times parents must commit this unto the Lord. Pray with the child and wait until the judgment day when God will make it manifest. Humility in judging requires that. And then as well, the catechism requires of us that we love the truth. That in judgment and in all other dealings, I love the truth, speak it uprightly, and confess it. The order that the catechism gives these callings unto us is noteworthy does not say that we are to speak the truth, confess the truth, and then love the truth. But it starts with loving the truth. Until we come to love the truths that are contained in the Holy Scriptures, we will never be able to speak of and confess truth. This commandment is about our hearts. Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus taught his disciples that those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. We read as well, Psalm 15, verse 2, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Until we come to the point where we are faithful unto, zealous for the truths that are contained in the Holy Scriptures, we will never be able to witness unto others of the transforming power of the gospel. Speak the truth in love. Love is to govern the way that we speak about truth. Love controls the content of our speech. We are to speak words that are edifying. Words that are spoken for the purpose of building the neighbor up, not destroying the neighbor. Love requires of us that we promote the honor and the good character of the neighbor as much as we are able. Love as well dictates the manner in which we speak to the neighbor. 
controls not just the content of our words to them, but the way in which we speak to the neighbor. Speaking lovingly unto the neighbor means that we exercise control over the tone of our voice as we address them. We do not speak to the neighbor in an angry, a bitter, dismissive, or a belittling tone. But may the very way in which we talk to the neighbor communicate reverence and respect for the neighbor. Speaking in love controls as well when we speak. Not just what we speak. Not just the manner in which we speak, but as well when we speak to the neighbor. And love for God and for the neighbor means that there are times that we do not speak to the neighbor. Proverbs 19, verse 11. The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Love for the spouse means that you do not call the spouse out for every weakness that you perceive in him or her. Love for your children means that there are some transgressions of the children which are minor enough that it does not require a spanking. For love overlooks many faults. Love for the neighbor means that we do not repeat the tale that is told. How hurtful it is to you when you hear that others are spreading gossip behind your back. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How is it possible for us to keep this commandment? The possibility is found in the cross, for it is by God's truth that we are justified. God's truth is His eternal and His unchanging Word. God's truth is His covenant promises that He gives to believers and to their seed. God's truth is His decrees, His decree of election, where He chose some in love to be His own people. God's truth is this, that even though man fell, from their original state of righteousness, yet because He is the faithful God, He still loves His people. Romans 5, verse 8, For God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, God's Word is yea and amen. God's Word is that There will be the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. Even though this word of God cost him, cost him his only begotten son, yet God kept his word. This establishes the possibility of you and I keeping the ninth commandment. 
If it were not for the grace of God in justifying us through the blood of the Lamb, we would bring down upon us the heavy wrath of God for the sins that we have committed against Him. But God in His tender mercy declares unto you, I am not going to pour out my wrath upon you, for I have already poured out my wrath upon my Son, Jesus Christ. And then that it is by God's truth that we are sanctified. It is by God's Word that we are given the ability more and more to guard our tongues, to love the truth, to speak it, and to confess it before men. Jesus prayed to the Father in His high priestly prayer of John 17, verse 7, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. That's the power of truth. Truth changes the one who comes into contact with truth. Truth transforms you. Truth changes all of God's people. By God's word of truth, He calls you out of darkness and into His light. By God's word of truth, He called the things which are not as though they were. By His truth, God transforms you into the image of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. And He does that especially by the truth of the Gospel. And so it is that week by week as we come into the house of the Lord and as we hear the Spirit of Jesus Christ as He speaks unto the church, God uses that proclamation of the Gospel for your sanctification. May God give unto you humility of heart to receive that Word, faith to cling to the promise of the Gospel, and hope for that day when we are brought into heaven and then every word that comes off of our lips will be truth. Amen. Let us pray unto God. Our Father which art in heaven, thou art the God who little by little dost transform us, making us to be vessels of honor. Will thou, Father, graciously forgive the sins that we have committed with our lips? Lead us into truth by thy Holy Spirit. Guide, guard, and protect us for Jesus' sake. Amen.